Hello, and thank you for joining us. I am your host, soulful business and leadership coach, Jeffrey Biesecker. We are all on the journey to discover the light inside, that beacon which guides us to live our truest, most authentic self. This is episode 0057. Our emotional guidance system has a wide range of emotions, beginning with the most positive, empowering emotions to emotions of desperation and weakness. This system is designed to signal whether our thoughts in the present moment are in harmony with our desires and greater good. But we often find ourselves staring into the edge of the unknown, feeling lost in that desperation and chasing out the darkness inside. On today's show, we share a conversation with recovering addict, suicide survivor, and life coach Amanda Webster. Exploring how her brush with suicidal ideation and hearing a favorite song during an episode on a Canadian hotel ledge led her in discovering the importance of establishing a healthy emotional set point and why realigning our emotional and physical state of being is a crucial step in maintaining a healthy relationship with ourselves. We find out how on this episode of The Light Inside. I want to share a little secret with you today about a podcast booking and matching platform I truly love. As a podcast host and guest, my go-to podcast booking app is podmatch.com. If you currently have a podcast, regularly guest on podcast, or if you are new to the podcasting game looking to start your show, podmatch.com is an industry leader. They quickly and effortlessly connect ideal podcast guests and hosts. Their process is super easy and highly effective. Create your free guest or host account and set up your profile. It's really that easy. And the Podmatch AI will work its magic in the background, delivering your ideal interview matches within minutes, tailored uniquely for you. As a host and executive producer of the Top 100 Self-Improvement Podcast, The Light Inside, I found more high-quality guests on Podmatch than anywhere else and in a fraction of the time. So if you're looking to expedite your podcast booking experience, fill in your calendar with high-engagement content, creating value and meaning for your listening community. Check out podmatch.com, that's P-O-D-match.com, today and discover your ideal match magic. Talking today with suicide survivor turned life coach Amanda Webster, discussing the important role establishing an emotional set point plays in our emotional and mental well-being. Hello, Amanda, and thanks for joining us. Hello, can you hear me? Good morning, Amanda. How are you? I am great. How are you? Fantastic. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. It freaks me out when I saw this pop up, like on Friday. It gave me my reminder. I was yeah. Like, <laughs> We booked this in October and I'm sitting there going, yeah. party freaking shit. Like what? It's it been crazy, huh? Yeah. The last few months are just 
Like, I don't know what yeah. happened. I feel like I'm in a time yeah. slip or something. Oh, that entire year. I'm looking back and I was like, where the heck did 2020 go? Yeah. Some of that is not a bad thing. <laughs> right? But I feel like even when Christmas was coming around, I didn't have really a concept for what time of the year yeah. it was other than see yeah. the lights and stuff. I'm like, happy March, February, everybody. <laughs> like- <laughs> it's so odd how so many of those normal markers we experience change throughout the year. Yeah. It's an interesting perspective to look at. It really was. And now, yeah. you know, I remember growing up, people didn't put up their Christmas stuff. It didn't go into stores till Thanksgiving. Now it's like, I'm just waiting for <laughs> it to get earlier and earlier. Eventually it's going to be like 4th of July. They're going to roll out. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't even out of Halloween and they were pumping the Christmas out, which yes. was not necessarily a bad thing this year. You know, it gave yeah. some people, sense yeah. of positive energy out there. So yeah, it was an yeah. interesting perspective to look into. At Christmas, we already had our Valentine's Day stuff out here. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, is my is my mic working okay? And do we use the video? Do you use the video or just the audio? I really didn't have an audience there. Cool. I've been following where my audience naturally seems to connect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of these people from my marketing perspective who's spending all of my time trying to figure out well, where do I go? You know, how do I attract more people? My whole perspective has shifted where I understand what message I want. I understand where I want to connect. I don't operate on lack and need. And that becomes a whole nother thing. And we could go down a whole conversation on that because where I'm trying to lead people is so much of what we do is out of that patterning where we're searching for that validation. A lot of, a lot of people put their conversations on YouTube, but they only have like six views. And I'm like, what's the point of that? I mean, we can fall into those traps or we create that sense that I am enough. Yeah. You know, I am who I am. I am, you know, a value because I simply am me. Yeah. People just simply are not taught that that energy you put out there attracts. I know a time when I was like that, when that's all I wanted was just somebody to tell me that I was good enough. I think even bigger than that is accepting that comfortableness that when things aren't coming, it's because you're just not in the space, you know, and that's that's all right. That's a tough thing for people to swallow is that space of openness can be, you know, a real kind of vulnerable raw spot where we feel like we are constantly being taught. We have to do something. We have to push. We have to validate. We have to, you know, seek all the struggle that we create. You know, I think that's a great place where we can connect our conversation in today because I feel so often in those instances create that kind of unnatural trauma within us. And that can be like a bold stepping out for people to say, well, how is that a trauma? It doesn't create that optimal state of our being that allows us to be in alignment with our energy and flowing and comfortable and open to acceptance, you know, removing our biases that create all of these struggles, all of these lacks and needs that we have. It really does. And I don't think I believed that until I think 2015 is when I really started to dabble my feet into it. And I started like accidentally manifesting things. And I'm like, how the hell am I in Europe right now? I don't even understand how this happened. A way to kind of throw it out there in the gap and we'll see how that fits in with the conversation. That's where I'm moving with the entire program. It's not about generating fascination. It's not about generating a revenue stream. It's about how do we move into these alignments? How do we start to recognize some of these awarenesses and step outside of the normal pattern? Sure. We look for the easy go-to so often. Simplicity is one way, but simplicity doesn't always equate to easiness, that notion of ease 
and easy nest. Things that come with ease, we're releasing those attachments. That's a big area for me. I'm looking at the 2021 and saying, how do we create these things from our ego that we're attached to that limit that ease and release us from that need for searching for easy nest? Yeah, I think that I, I agree. I think that's a really, I don't know if it's a starting place or just something we touch upon, but yeah. You know, it's a broad concept and you know, broad concepts open us up to see things in a new, different light and awareness. Yeah. That's where the light's getting shined in 2021. I'm stepping into that and saying, where are we shining our light in 2021 with that intention? You know, intention is the big thing. I will tell you, like, just from a mental health perspective, people are always like, I just want the happy pill. Mm. Well, the happy pill is not mm. going to make you happy. Have you ever met somebody who takes an antidepressant that's actually genuinely happy? I mean, I understand some people need them. I'm not saying that they don't have their place, but I just feel like people rely so much on them that then they don't try and do their own work. Yeah. So they don't actually reach their happiness potential. The more lights we add, the more we shine that awareness on things that more we open up that view and clean some of that clutter of the darkness out the clutter of the darkness i like that i'm gonna use that someday <laughs> i'm gonna steal that just let you know now yeah <laughs> it's, it's not about ownership there again i'm i'm releasing things to ego we all interact and influence what way are we influencing that creates that positive light i love it because i just finished writing my book and it's called one more light and i've been working with a literary agent so we expect it to be coming out in 2021 so i'm i'm pretty excited that you know one more light a light inside light 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 that's the theme of 2021 i think we're going to circle back around to the book because that will kind of cap off things let's do a little bit of looking back to your past i don't like getting stuck in my past i don't feel we each operate from our essence when we relegate back to the past, but having that point of reference can serve as the motion forward. So let's look back. In your experience, you had some battles with addiction, clinical depression, self-harm, all leading to ultimately that battle with suicidal ideation. You know, you struggled with that notion of finding your place in life. Can you share with us a little bit about that experience? Yeah. So I, I don't think there was any one thing, obviously, that pushed to that point. It was a culmination of mm -hmm. being bullied uh, when I was younger that just gave me this sense of not having self-worth. Like I wasn't good enough. I wasn't worthy. I never got the date. I never got picked for the team, you know, and that started to create this mindset, this uh, view of myself and how I, I saw the world, how I saw myself. And I attached to certain people, like my very close friends, my parents, but I ended up moving away when I was 16 from my hometown to chase some guy that I thought I was in love with. And I convinced my parents to move across the country with me. So fun story. Uh, that, that in and of itself is its own story. But when I got there, I ended up being sexually assaulted. So just further degrades, you know, my, my sense of self-worth, the guy that I thought I was in love with wanted nothing to do with me. So, you know, another hit to the self-worth. And then in the years following and like the five years following, I lost both my parents mm. and that kind of was what defined me, you know, like the only thing I really had left to tell me how good I was or how loved I was, was my parents. And when I lost my mom, my dad passed first and my mom, uh, I really had no sense of self. Like I really had no sense of I'm a worthy and good and lovable person because without them, 
there was nobody there to tell me that. Uh, so I started spiraling, you know, into drugs and I, I struggled with depression most of my life anyway, but it got to just an unmanageable point. I've been trying to see therapists since I was six. Well, I think sixth grade was when I started seeing therapists like mm. one-on-one formally seeing a therapist. I'd seen a couple before that and it just didn't help. Like the medication caused side effects so horrible. I just couldn't bear it. I couldn't keep trying to do the medication. So I turned to alcohol and cocaine and cigarettes and really just anything that I could to at least make it manageable. Like the, the, the Coke managed my thoughts. It made them to where, okay, at least I can take them a little bit of a time. It's not that those intrusive thoughts constantly bombarding my head and telling me all of these things, uh, like the shadow that's just in my head, constantly whispering to me how terrible and ugly I am. And when I got pregnant with my son, that was kind of a turning point where I said, okay, I can get my life together. I can, Mm. you know, stop drinking and stop using. And I, I did, but I ended up going through really bad postpartum depression my son's father was pretty emotionally abusive. He, like, he was not there and supportive at all. So again, I was isolated from everyone. I didn't know mm. what to do or who I was. I still hadn't really established uh, any kind of sense of self. I still relied on my partner or somebody else to tell me, you're pretty, you're good enough, you're, you're fine, you're a good mom. And shortly thereafter, like we separated mm. and things were okay for a bit, but being, you know, a single mom in a town where I really didn't have any friends or support was trying in and of itself. And my really big breaking point, the thing that had always got me through, that had always kept me alive at the very least, or given me comfort was Lincoln Park, the music of Lincoln Park. So in 2017, when Chester Bennington, the lead singer, lost his life to suicide, he had been the thing that I clung to, like through my teen years, through um, all of this, I, I'd listened to the music and I'd, I'd, you know, clung to his story of survival. So when he lost his battle, I'm like, what the hell hope do I have? You know, this is a guy who had everything. He had money and influence and, you know, power and, and family and all this. So I really, I know it's weird, but I really just, completely lost control. I I fell into the drugs. I will say I didn't use around my son. Like I was choosy about how I managed my addiction, but uh, yeah, I fell really hard into drugs. The hardest I ever had in my life. I was constantly self-harming. I just, I had to have something to channel the pain to make it like somewhat manageable. And when I met the lead singer, the, the surviving lead singer, I'm sorry, the other uh, lead singer, Mike Schnoda, he kind of motivated me to get off the drugs again and to stop self-harming. And everybody always thinks, oh, well, that's great. You know, you stopped doing the drugs. So that means that you're okay now. Well, the reason that I was doing these things hadn't been addressed or dealt with. So four months later, after I'm four months um, in recovery from self-harm and cocaine, I ended up in a Canadian hotel room. I was in Quebec, Canada for Justin Timberlake concert. My friend, I got me tickets to, and I just couldn't take it anymore. I was in so much pain. I thought I'd tried everything. I couldn't manage my life. And I remember standing on the ledge of the hotel room and I was looking down at the roof and I was just thinking, thinking about my son. I was thinking he's better off without a fuck up like me as a mom. And I was just thinking, I hope that this doesn't hurt because I don't want to hurt anymore. And I didn't have that fear anymore. Like I, the only thing that had really kept me from, from doing that in the past was fear of death. Like we don't know what's, what's 
after this. We don't know uh, what that means. So there was always this fear uh, of, of ending my life. But in that moment, I had no fear. I just wanted the pain to stop. I would have done anything to make the pain stop. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my rock bottom. That was where I hit rock bottom was on the ledge of that hotel. So you had an understanding of where some of those roots were, you know, where some of these sources of that pain were at that time, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I, I was always <laughs> told that I was extremely self-aware by every mental yeah, health professional yeah. I ever saw. They're like, you're the most self-aware borderline individual because I was diagnosed with borderline personality mm-hmm. disorder. They're like, you're the most self-aware borderline person we've ever met. <laughs> like, that's not, <laughs> that's not a, a, a typical thing. That's pretty rare. But I yeah, always was yeah. super self-aware of, I could walk into a therapist and go, and this is where my trauma comes from. And this is why I'm feeling the way I do. And this is why I have this addiction. Now fix me. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I, yeah. yeah I, I very much was aware of why it was there. I just didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah, I've had some of my own battles going in and requiring some therapy work. And that was a common experience for me also. You know, I had an understanding of some of these small T traumas, you know, very diminished compared to a lot of the battles you've faced. But some of these small T traumas, nevertheless, that were creating some of my baggage and hangups. Went in and very aware of that, which did allow me to move once I got to that point a lot quicker. A lot of people don't have that understanding where they're trying to find that source. You know, it's so buried in that shadow side you mentioned that they can't connect. The flip of that is there is also that understanding where it can become a frustrating source when you understand where it's coming from, but you still are trying to find that shift, that pattern that allows you to swing back toward that healthy balance. What were some of the things you feel once you had hit that bottom that allowed you to kind of step toward that light? Well, the first thing, the thing that actually brought me down, ironically enough, was I was on a ledge in a French-speaking province, mind you. Like, this wasn't even an English-speaking province. I was standing on that ledge, completely done, completely, like, my fingers were slipping from the Mm. windowsill. I was seconds away from, from falling to that roof and right outside my hotel room door in that moment, breaking the habit by Lincoln park turned on Mm -hmm. and I freaked out. I'm not kidding. Like I, my, my my heart was already racing, but I just started kind of hyperventilating. I I Mm -hmm. thought at first that I was hallucinating and this was like, okay, well, of course that, that tape that plays through your head before you die. Of course, my soundtrack is Lincoln park. What else would it be? So I thought I was hallucinating and (laughs) I stepped down Mm-hmm. I think at first I had a morbid curiosity to see if this was even real. I'm like, am I hallucinating? Yeah. Is, is there going to be an angel outside my door? Like, what is going on? So I stepped down and I, I walk out there and there was two guys, uh, two French guys with their little cart. And they looked at me and were visibly concerned because I, I had a very disheveled appearance. So I'm visibly concerned. And we had a little French exchange and... Uh, I just said, c'est ma chanson préférée, which means that's my favorite song. And he was just like, ah, ah bon, c'est, c'est vrai, you know, like, really? And um, I came back inside and I just, I fell apart. Like, I just fell apart on the floor. And I think that was actually the first step, mm. was just letting myself feel. Because all the times that I'd cried, all the times that I'd yeah. cursed the universe or cursed God or cursed whoever I could curse or blame someone else, all the times that I'd really felt anything. I just don't think, I know it sounds weird, but it just wasn't genuine. Like there was always either I'm sitting there feeling guilty for the way I felt that I'm crying and going, I shouldn't be crying right now. I should be stronger. I should be better. I should be this. I should be that. There was never just a, I deserve this. I deserve 
to cry. Like I deserve to hurt. I deserve to grieve my parents. I deserve to grieve Chester, regardless of I had a mental health professional because when this was happening uh, after Chester passed away, I went to a therapist and I said, I'm having these feelings. I don't understand. Like there, I really looked up to this, this person, but I understand that I never met him. uh, Mm. So I really don't know how to navigate uh, these emotions. And this mental health professional literally told me that it was inappropriate for me to be having these feelings, that it signified like a deeper seated problem and just really tore me apart for, for having grief uh, over Chester. And once I kind of did my own research and found out that this is completely normal and I, I allowed myself in that hotel room to really just start feeling the grief and feeling the pain and feeling the loss and not just of people when I was sexually assaulted, like, I don't think I ever grieved that. I don't think I ever grieved the loss that that represented. You know, that was my first time. My first time was, was through rape. And I never really allowed myself to process that trauma. So my first thing was just falling apart. Like that was really the first thing I did. Yes. When I went back to Arizona where I live, I went again to a mental health professional because apparently I hadn't learned my lesson <laughs> on, on going that route first, uh, first thing out the gate. Uh, but I went to a mental health professional and I think my problem, honestly, was I just never found one at the time that that meshed with me, that uh, really (laughs) listened to me. And I told this woman, I said, look, this is what happened. Like I was on the ledge. I told her about the suicidal ideation. I told her about, you know, how I've been feeling. But I said, I am determined to be happy. I don't think that's ever been a a clinical goal. Like the clinical goal is always mitigating self-harm, making sure that you're not hurting yourself, making sure that you're not relapsing and using again. Those are the goals. And those are great goals, but it's like, I've been four months um, out of self-harm and and cocaine. So at what point do we start moving toward me being happy? And I told her, that's my goal. Like, I want to be happy. And that woman looked me in the eyes and said, that's not possible for someone like you. So days after I almost took my life and I'm feeling empowered and, you know, I want to move forward and I want to, to really find this, this happiness. I have a person that I trusted Hmm. with my Hmm. mental health tell me that's not possible. And I think, had I still been in that mindset, had I still been in the mindset I was when I stepped, when I was about to step off the ledge, would her words have pushed me? Would her words have just been like, well, it's not going to get any better. Might as well just jump. You know, had I not been in that mindset where her words were like that fire under me, or as I always say, that was my Elle Woods moment where Warner told her she wasn't good enough for law or smart enough for law school. That was that moment. I was like, Oh, now I have something to prove. Like now it's not just, I want to be better for me. Now I have to prove this woman wrong. Uh, so it, it kind of became this, this just fiery desire to, to prove the world wrong <laughs> because I know that that was the, the yeah. message yeah. that, you know, we're sent as well. This is the cards we're dealt and we just kind of have to make do with it. But as I'd said, like I felt that I'd tried everything. So I had at this point, no idea what to do. I can't you know turn to the mental health professional. She's clearly not going to help me. And I didn't have my parents. I didn't you know really have anyone in my life that I thought could really give me any direction. So I remember being in my room that night, listening to Lincoln Park, of course, because <laughs> that's what I did. And uh, I ended up texting Diamond Dallas Page because I had got certified as a DDP yoga instructor. And I was kind of craving my parents' like advice, like my, my fatherly advice, my motherly advice. And my dad and I grew up watching professional wrestling, like, but that's what we bonded over. So I was like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to message Dallas and see what he says. So I text Dallas. And I was like, this is where I'm at emotionally. I'm just really struggling. I didn't tell him the extent of it, but I said, I'm just really having a hard time mentally. 
and I don't know what to do. Like, I feel like I'm stuck. Yes. And he responded back and said, you did this to yourself, buddy. It's on you to undo it. (laughs) I was so pissed. I shattered my phone against the wall. (laughs) Like I was so mad. Like, how could you say that to me? You don't understand. Like you don't get that depression's real and you clearly don't understand what, you know, depression is or what mental health problems are. And I was so mad. I literally chucked my phone at the wall and shattered my phone. But the longer I sat there, the longer I realized he was right. <laughs> that we rely on that quick fix. You know, we want somebody else to fix our problems, be it through a pill or a therapy session. We want somebody else to fix our problems. And when I really stopped to think about it, I said, are the choices I'm making and the lifestyle I'm living conducive to optimum mental health? And the answer was a resounding no, it was not. So for me, it was really just time to get back to basics. I said, yes. you know what? Okay, I'm going to take control. I'm going to do what I can do. Because clearly Chester's not there. My parents aren't there. The therapist's not going to help. Like nobody's really going to do this for me. And I'm going to give this my all for one year. I'm going to do everything I can to boost my mental health. Uh, I'm going to make all of the like choices that I can make to boost my mental health. And if in one year Mm. I do not feel better, if I still feel this pain and hopelessness and desolation, I gave myself permission to jump. I gave myself permission to find another ledge and end it. So... I started really assessing like where I was at and where I wanted to be and assessing what I could do, the the changes that I could make. And it was a process. It was a process kind of figuring out what power do I have? Like what power could I possibly have to overcome uh, such such a strong, what we believe is deep-seated, genetic, blah, blah, blah. You know, all the excuses we make to ourselves that we don't have the power. It's out of our hands. Well, I can tell you that's BS. Uh, as someone that, that struggled with two decades of clinical depression, including, like you said, the suicidal ideation, the addiction, the, the self-harm, all that, that's BS. Like we do have the power to change it because I did. Because so much of that is finding that source of intention and what we deem as those pathways to discovering purpose, finding that meaning in something that's within us, you know, it can be such a challenge, especially because the depression will tell you that you're worthless, that you're powerless, that you're a terrible person, a terrible parent, a terrible friend, a terrible partner, whatever depression it's real. It's, it tells you all sorts of terrible things. And it's really, I think my biggest challenge was overcoming that voice. But I think the thing that people try to do is they avoid it. They ignore it. I pushed my shadow away. I didn't want to hear what she had to say. I saw her as this thing to be afraid of. And Once I said, okay, what are you trying to tell me? What is it that you're trying to tell me? Because I think that my shadow, the one that perpetuated the self-harm and the drugs and uh, like the self-hatred was really trying to protect me. As crazy as that sounds. (laughs) And it makes me think, actually, there's this guy that I knew when I was a partying teenager and it was right. I remember, I'm sorry, I was 20. So I was just on my teens. But I remember my dad had just passed away and I told him, like he had called me and asked if I wanted to go you know, party or whatever. And I said, Hey, my dad just passed away. I'll never forget him all the same breath. It's like, I'm so sorry for your dad. Do you want to hit the beer bomb? Now this was him just trying to be nice in the only way he knew how, like he just, he was trying to reach out in the only way he knew how. And once I saw my shadow, like I saw that friend that she was just trying to protect me in the only way she knew how, then I could kind of have a communication with her. Then I could kind of say, you know what? I appreciate what you're trying to do, but I got this. I can do this. Thank you. Thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for the lessons you've taught me. Thank you for trying to protect me, but I think I have a better way of doing this. Let's try it my way. A lot more, just like a friend, that depression was a lot more apt to start listening 
when I wasn't like, well, get the hell away from me. Like you're hideous and you're ugly and I can't deal with you. Just get away from me. Like (laughs) that's never really going to be an effective way of dealing with your inner uh, self anyway, any more than it's an effective way for dealing with other people. But once I could start even with that tiny spark, that tiny, tiny little spark, because it was so tiny in the beginning, once I could make that little spark to start combating the darkness in my head, that was when I started making progress. You know, that sets the stage where that gives you that foundation of hope, that thing that says, okay, now I have something to root from. I have something to aspire to and reach from. So it's so important. Yeah. I think that was the song. Mm. The song yeah. was my was my root because I when I heard that, <laughs> when I'm on the ledge and I hear that song, it gave me that little tiny itty bitty spark that I was like, I'm meant to be here. I'm meant to stay. I'm meant to live. And that's all it took was that tiny little spark. And yeah. maybe it'll come from a song. Maybe it'll come from thinking of uh, someone else. Maybe it'll come from, you know, just, just seeing the right thing at the right time or thinking of the right, if you're spiritual, maybe like a Bible verse or, you know, some kind of mantra or something, just thinking of that right thing at that right time. That's all it really takes is that one tiny spark to start yes. a fire yes. in you. It really just takes that little tiny bit. You know, to me, that's fascinating to look at that moment, that thing. You know, we have to wonder how much of that power is us pulling that attraction in that thing at the right time. How much of that is our connection with the universe saying, wait a minute, here is your moment. Here is your lesson. Sink or swim, you know, and that's that's a really kind of blunt, as you said, calling the BS moment sink or swim, you know, but how much of that do we manifest ourselves by putting that energy out there and saying, I know it's there. I know that spark is within my reach. I do think deep inside, I believed in something like I, I'm not a believer. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I I never know what to call it. Like, was it a miracle? Was it the universe? Was it my manifestation? (laughs) We do. And actually that's one of the things that I, I kind of had this, this, I didn't hear a voice. I just want to be clear about that. But like when I was there, I started having like just (laughs) feelings. That's the only way I can describe it. But it felt like the feelings that I had when I was with my parents. So I felt this connection to my parents. And I started having these thoughts that just felt like they were coming from my parents. And one of the things was I, I remember laying there on the floor and I was just going, does this mean God's real? Does this mean there's angels? Is this love? Like, how are you, how are you communicating with me right now? How am I feeling this? Why? And I just started asking myself all these questions. Yeah. And I remember you know, hearing my parents' voices going, why do you have to label this? Why does it need to be God or the universe? Or why does there need to be a name for it? Why does there need to be some explanation? Just accept it for what it is. And Yes. And I did like, I, I really stopped trying to put that, um, that label on it. Cause it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if it came from God <laughs> or the universe or Krishna or Zeus or whatever, that was just names that people gave, you know, the that source the energy, energy. That yeah, the source energy. Yep. <laughs> and it really doesn't matter at the end of the day, yeah. what you call it. It matters that you acknowledge it, that you have gratitude for it, that you, you know, work with it in whatever way you can. That's what matters. What purpose and meaning can we make of it? And ultimately, that's where our purpose and meaning comes from is how do we perceive things? How do we connect from it? And then how do we make that conscious choice to move forward and act upon it, to create that experience and pull that into being to further align with it? Yep. Are they mysteries or is that the true reality? That for me is the big preponderance is, are they a mystery or is that simply the true reality? And we cloud that. We pull that veil over our own eyes sometimes. 
I think we do. And I think that's something that I see a lot with my clients, especially mm. because, uh, you know, I do have a lot of a lot of clients that deal with mild to moderate depression. And yes. the first thing I always kind of feel myself being combated with is the, <laughs> the disillusion that they're disconnected somehow, that they're different than me. That's always the thing is it's like, well, you had this, you had that. I can't be like you. I thought that exact same thing. I always looked at these other people that were happy and went, I can't be like that because that's what I was told literally by professionals, (laughs) you know, but all my life, that's kind of the narrative we're given is (laughs) that if you have something like this, if you are diagnosed with depression, that makes you depressed. You are depressed. And I will say the number one thing I always tell my clients, myself, my friends, anyone that comes to me that is struggling with symptoms of depression you are not those symptoms. You are not depressed. You are having symptoms of depression. So I will never, ever, ever again say I am depressed. I can say I'm feeling sad. I'm having symptoms of depression. I need to address this, but I am not depressed. And what follows that I am can be super powerful saying I am feeling these feelings, Mm -hmm. but I can make positive changes, positive choices to influence those feelings. That to me is the ultimate truth. You know, we are conditioned to buy and believe a lot of these biases. We're conditioned to adopt a lot of these patternings, a lot of these notions that you have a depressive personality. Yeah. By and large, you know, I'm of the belief, and, and it's been an evolution over the last year, thanks to one of our guest contacts, that your personality is up to you to determine. Where do we fall into that spectrum? Where do we choose to take that notion? can ultimately be the biggest source of creating where we are at our essence. I like that because Mm. I know I had to do some redefining. I know I had to really get back to the core of who I was on a scientific, like physical level. And (laughs) I got asked so much, what did you do? How did you get out of this? What were the steps you took? (laughs) And I would like to say that it was very, you know, cut and dry, but it wasn't, it was a process. I made an entire course about it because it's such a process. But one of the big things was going back and cutting that crap, cutting out those limiting beliefs. And that's not easy. That's actually the last module of my happiness boost course, because that's the hardest part. If you don't have a foundation, like that's going to really bring you to that, to that like highest part of your happiness spectrum, the highest level of your happiness spectrum. If you don't have a foundation, that's going to help your body serve your brain. Like that's going to really help you get through the the physical aspects that can, that can hold you back uh, mentally, then you're not going to be able to do that. Like it's so much harder if you're constantly like (laughs) sugar, soda, alcohol, drugs, whatever those things are. A lot of people say to start with that, to start with, you need to get the right mindset and everything. But for me, it was more, I had to be giving my body the opportunity to do those things, to be able to have more control over my brain. Cause I realized pretty early on 
Mm. that what I ate and the decisions I made in my life were having a huge impact on my mental health and my brain. Yeah. And people yeah. deny that. People want to say, yeah. oh, well, that doesn't make a difference. I promise you it does because I can now tell on a day where I choose to eat things that probably aren't going to serve me. <laughs> I can see it affect my mental health very almost instantly now. And I think that when you're in the mindset that that's normal to you, that you're constantly eating yes. you know, fast food and sugar and stuff, you're not going to see it as much. But once you get to a healthy perspective and then you go back and you do that to yourself, Oh yeah. I'll feel it like immediately. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> maybe I should have done that. Maybe I should have made a better choice. So when people talk about cheat days, I always get asked, don't you have cheat days where you just eat, you know, whatever. Well, yeah, I do sometimes, yeah. but I've gotten to the point where I don't really want to because of the effect it has on me, you know, balance, uh, so yeah. it, there is a very tricky balance there of things that I just don't want to do anymore that I never thought mm. I would be able to eliminate from my life. That's the thing I always yeah. hear people saying when I'm telling them, if you want to, you know, have optimal mental health, you have to, and this is the, the second module in the happiness boost course is you have to learn to emotionally eat the right way. That's huge. You have to learn to, yeah. That building blocks are you establishing as your foundation? Generational pattern, you know, I will look at this notion based on, yeah, there is truism in the fact that we say that often. We say often, you know, we are the foundation we're built on like a house. What structure are you putting under yourself? Yeah. Starts with how you create this whole container. We throw all this mess of being in and shake it up. Yeah. You know, if you're throwing it in crap and throwing crap in it, you're going to necessarily build that thing that turns out more crap. Yeah. People tend to forget <laughs> that their brain is part of their body. So what you do to your body, duh, people affects your brain. <laughs> like, I don't understand why people have forgotten this is this thing in your head and your head is on your body. But um, th there actually is a very, very direct link between your brain and what you eat through the vagus nerve. So if you're eating food that's causing inflammation and you might not even realize, most people don't realize it's causing inflammation, uh, it's causing this inflammation in the gut, that's going to send signals up through the vagus nerve into the brain saying something's wrong. And guess how that shows up? That shows up through symptoms of anxiety and depression and <laughs> an inability to handle stress. So of course, if that building block, or as I call it, I call it my five puzzle pieces of happiness. Yes. That's what I call yes. it. The five puzzle pieces of happiness. And the second one of those is learning to emotionally eat the right way. So you're learning to eat for optimal mental health. You know, that's establishing to me a system to create that sound foundation, to create those processes and a sound structure of being a sound action. Let's look at that. What are those five components of those puzzle pieces? So the first one is assessing because people are always like, well, I'm depressed and I want to be happy. <laughs> that's, that's not really a, a tangible, uh, functional starting point or goal point. You know, when we make goals, when we say this is what I want to accomplish, we don't just say, I want to lose weight. You say, I want to lose 30 pounds by this point. So figuring out where you're at and where you want to be, it might sound easy, but it's not. It's a whole entire <laughs> module in my course because it's not easy at all. It takes a lot of self-reflection. It takes a lot of, yes. of really sitting with yourself, asking yourself the right questions, figuring out what you're doing right. And that's something a lot of people don't do is I had strengths, but I had let those challenges overshadow my strengths. So I, I just had kind of forgotten about them. So getting back to there are points in your life, like there are things on your, on your happiness wheel that are going to be a little higher. Maybe for me, um, in 2015, I got to travel to like five countries, <laughs> wow. yeah. which was awesome. So like yeah. my fun and recreation in my life was, was kind of higher, you know, so I had something in my life that was higher. It's like, okay, that's, that's 
something to look at. That's something to start at. Like that's some kind of happiness that I can creating that value and meaning. Right. So it was, it was something positive to look at, you know, instead (laughs) of just being bombarded by the negative. So assessment is the first of the five puzzle pieces of happiness. The second, as we said, is emotional Mm. eating the right way, learning how to emotionally eat the right way, learning how to make sure that you're not deficient in one of the 10 nutrients that's going to affect your mental health. Cause that's huge. If you're not getting a balance of those nutrients every single day, it's going to affect your mental health. No ifs, ands, or buts. You're not special. You're human. <laughs> like It's just how we're wired to work. I have people all the time, but that's not how my body works. Are you an alien? Because <laughs> it's just kind of how science works. Uh, it's how biology works. And um, the third one is finding your fitness, which is hard yes. when you're in a state of depression, when, you feel, when you're feeling those symptoms of depression. And by this, I don't mean going and doing circuits at the gym or, you know, running five miles or anything crazy people because of social media, I think we're healthy balance. Yeah. We're indoctrinated to think (laughs) that fitness only means lifting weights, doing circuits, doing crunches, do, you know, doing these specific workouts when fitness can just mean walking your dog more or going and taking Mm. up some kind of sport that you like or doing a yoga video on YouTube. It really doesn't have to be anything intense. I mean, depending on your goals, it can be, if you're wanting to be more muscular or whatever, of course, then you're going to have to tailor it a little bit to those goals. But for the most part, just getting off your butt and finding things that you enjoy. That productive, yes, productive activity. physical activity. <laughs> but learning to find what works for you, even if you're in a state of mm. rock bottom, have no energy, can't get out of bed. Because let me tell you something. When I was in the worst of my depression, I would get out of bed every single Actually, I'd lay in bed every single day and go, oh my God, I can't do this again. I don't want to deal with this crap. And I just would lay there in kind of a state of self-pity for solid 10 minutes, just going, I don't want to do this, like cover your head with the blanket. And when I realized that I was coming out of it, when I realized, wow, this is actually working (laughs) several months after I I started uh, implementing these changes was when I got out of bed and realized that I was looking forward to an adventure that day. I was looking at my day as an adventure and not something to survive. And that was one of the first like things that made me go, I think I'm moving forward here, but, but there were times where I just had to really drag yeah. myself up, but I found things that were enjoyable for me. For me, I got a pair of rollerblades and because I loved that as a kid and I will, I will tell you that the things you loved as a kid, yeah. you probably yeah. still love just some part of you said, you're not supposed to do that as a grown up. Well, you know what? Yeah. I was playing with Ninja Turtles two days ago. You want to judge me? <laughs> like, <laughs> sometimes that's a part of somebody else telling you that sometimes that's an outside. It's so much is it's it really we've been fed yeah why does it matter if, if playing with a ninja turtle or rollerblading or <laughs> watching some cartoon makes you feel happiness yeah. it does not matter your age that's just a silly 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 societal notion to attach to there again are we exercising that healthy balance that it doesn't become a limiting point on some other area of our life some other limiting point that also doesn't keep that bounce at homeostasis of keeping things flowing throughout the spectrum. Right. So yeah, finding your fitness, uh, even if that just means having a dance party with your kids, like my my (laughs) nine-year-old, my nine-year-old and I will just turn on like 90s, early 2000s music and just jam out for 20 minutes. And I will tell you, that's a good party. Like my heart's racing at the end of that. If you just move your body and jam out. Uh, warning to parents, though, I decided it was a good idea that we were listening to Blink-182 uh, one day back in late September, <laughs> and my son decided that he wanted to have Halloween on Christmas because we were listening to Miss You. Mm. 
So I ended up having to drag out my Christmas tree in October and decorate it with Halloween decorations so my kid would be happy. <laughs> so careful what music you listen to. You never know what your kids are going to want to do. But it was so fun. Like it was just, again, a fun little thing that we uh, did together. The fourth puzzle piece is the three C's of sustaining happiness. The, the three C's are the compartments of the toolbox because you have to have yes. a toolbox like for coping with stress. Stressful shit's going to happen. That's life. It's going to happen. You know, you, you can't stop stressful things from happening, but you can build a toolbox on how you cope with them and learning to build a toolbox that works for you. So that when stressful events happen, when things like 2020, all of 2020, when things like that happen, you have a higher ability to cope with it and you know how to cope with it. That's the next thing is coping. You know how to cope with it. Mm. You know when to use which skills, like when you need to do something to change it and when you need to just ride the wave out. Cause that's important. Sometimes yes, things are yes. out of our control and all we can do is ride the emotions, not try to change them, not judge them, just say, you know what, this stinks and I'm, I'm going to be angry today. Like I'm angry. How can I, in a healthy way, deal with that anger? <laughs> and the third one, something people really overlook, the third of those C's is communication. If you cannot communicate your needs, mm. if you cannot communicate with other people in a healthy way, if you cannot communicate with your friends, with your partner, with coworkers, like or yourself. With yourself, yeah, that's where I was <laughs> going with that. One. If you can't, we don't communicate with ourselves. And And that that goes back to like that shadow conversation that I was having earlier. If we don't know how to communicate with those different facets of ourselves and with other people (laughs) to say, this is what I want. This is my boundaries, setting healthy boundaries and being okay. Mm -hmm. That's okay. That does not make you a weak person. That does not make you like, uh, I, I don't want to say the B word, but the B word that does not make you any of that. That makes you a healthy individual that wants to set healthy boundaries. And then, like we said earlier, the last yes. one is yes. cutting the crap. The last of those five puzzle pieces of happiness is cutting the crap. You have to know what to get out of your life, whether it's people, whether it's yeah, yeah what's, what's limiting effective. thoughts. Like we, we do go through limiting thoughts, physical possessions. I know that that's something that a lot of people struggle with or say, oh, that's not going to affect my mental health. But let me ask you this. If you're looking around and you just see a bunch of clutter yeah. and you just see a bunch of things that don't serve you or that trigger bad memories or it takes you 20 minutes to find your keys through, you know, the pile of crap everywhere that's going to affect your mental health. And I will say I had my best friend, my best friend in the whole world. I love her so much. I went back to Missouri where I grew up for Christmas this year. My, my good friend had flown me back uh, for Christmas 2020. So I stayed with a friend and got to see some of my childhood friends that I <laughs> hadn't seen since 2003. So this was really exciting to me, but my one friend, she'd really been struggling with her mental health, like really having a struggle the past couple of years. Mm. And she got to that point where everything fell so far down that now when she was starting to say, Hey, I kind of want to start moving back in the right direction. She didn't know how, because she didn't have the energy. She just didn't know where to start. So we took a day. I took a day while I was there and we just cleaned and organized her house. We just went through and we got rid of, you know, the trash and the things that she didn't need. And we started donating things that were just there because it was aspirational clutter or sentimental clutter or whatever type of clutter it was. We got rid of like almost 20 bags of stuff, uh, just either trash or donating. And this is something I have clients do too, obviously through part of this cut the crap module, but I will just never forget. She had posted this thing on social media and was just talking about 
this is how you know who a true friend is because you don't know how much you need something like this and how much it affects your mental health till you do it. When you realize that all of these things are bogging you down and you're looking at your surroundings and they don't make you happy, your home has to be a place that, you know, really Mm. cultivates that, that happiness and that joy. That's your place. And it has to be uh, something that really, that really cultivates that, that really moves that forward. So yeah, just reading that message from her. I mean, I'd heard it from clients before, but hearing it from your best friends, a whole lot different and just hearing what a difference that made to her (laughs) and what, uh, what that did for her mental health and her emotions. That one thing we didn't even go through the other like four steps, just that one thing (laughs) just made all the difference in the world to her. So often we're projecting that energy into that stuff. Unbeknownst, down in that seated shadow soul, that dark shadowy side, there's some attachment to that. There's some sense of creating a purpose oftentimes. And I'm not saying every case, but that can be a pattern we're generating. That can be something we're holding on to. And we don't even realize that attachment. Oh, yeah. I I remember... When my mom died, I wouldn't let go of a single piece of paper that had her handwriting on it because it's like, this is all I had left of my mom. That piece of paper isn't my mom. That piece of paper isn't going to bring her back. Mm-hmm. That piece of paper isn't really even making me feel more connected yeah. to her. It's in a box in my garage. You know, it's not like I'm sitting there looking at it going, I would understand if this is the only piece of paper I had, you know, the yes. only thing I had left of my mom. But we hold on to these things because there's something we don't want to let go of. Be it uh, for her, like, I, I think that she was scared to move to the next you know, level because now she kind of become complacent in where she was and she's kind of scared to move to that mm-hmm. next phase to that next place and it can be scary even if we know it's going to be good yes. it can be scary because it's change and we are wired to be afraid of change i know i get anxiety sometimes when i know yeah no we're programmed oh, yeah. we're, we're even swung the opposite way now i'm going to step out on the branch here today and say we're swung the opposite way so often in society now that says but that growth and change comes from those struggles That can create those things. But why do we necessitate that for our sense of being? Why do we say we have to be forced to be challenged before we simply make the choice to become what we're capable of placing intention and meaning? Yeah, we really don't have to go through the challenge. I have plenty of people that really just say, you "You know what? They don't hit that rock bottom like I do. I I know people that have, but I have plenty (laughs) of clients that are just like, hey, they take, it's okay um, to throw that crap out. Right. Right. <laughs> the first thing we do in the assessment is take a DAS test, which is depression, anxiety, stress scales. Mm. So I have everybody take a DAS test to see yes. where they're at. And not everybody's at rock bottom. Not everybody's like, hey, I'm feeling like this really, you know, crap, yeah. blah, depressed. Good. Right. right. They just are like, Good hey, I'm you. starting to feel <laughs> stress and anxiety and I want to move past that. Like they didn't have to fall into addiction or suicidal ideation. It's just, Hey, I'm feeling stress and anxiety and I want to move past that. However, even they improve those scales. So that's kind of the, the marker Mm. I use for uh, people going through the happiness boost program is where did you start on your DAS scales and where did you end up? Because I, I, on average, like the people going through it will improve by at least seven, eight points. Now, let me tell you, in November of 2018, so the Canadian hotel room incident was in October of 2018. In November of 2018, I took the DAS scales myself, like through a professional. I paid to have them do this test, this uh, assessment on me. And my depression was at a 20 and my anxiety was at a 16. Now for reference, yes. the highest you can have on depression, I believe is 21. Mine was at a 20. 
So I obviously was, I just tried to in my life, wow. I was at that rock bottom. Yeah. When I yeah. retook those, those, uh, the DAS assessment in May of 2020, yeah. my depression was at a three and my anxiety was at a two. Now, let me note, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't zero and zero, hmm. but yeah. look at the difference it made in like less than two years. You know, and what is perfect? Yeah. Again, we look at that. Are we swinging our baggage <laughs> or connections, attachments, or addictions in a, a negative way? Oh, we got to reach for this perfection. Now. I will say that one of the tapes that was stuck in my head, and I, I recognize where this came from, that drive for perfection. Mm. I used to be really into the show Nip Tuck yes. back in the late 2000s. It was a great show. <laughs> but there was a yes. part where Christian Troy, the doctor, one of the main doctors said, but once you stop striving for perfection, mm. you might as well be dead. And that got stuck in my head that I constantly, pattern. yep, I constantly was like, well, if I can't be perfect, then what's the point? If I can't, you know, constantly be trying to do something and trying to improve myself, then I'm not worthy. And that was yes. at yes. no fault, obviously, of that show. I was just in a bad place when I heard it. That got stuck in my head and just, you know, constantly beat me. It's one of those small T trauma moments right there. You know, those messages and patternings send us a signal. Ultimately, it's up for us each to make that choice of how do I make a meaning of that signal? Do I accept that as a reality and yeah. truth and live? It? And I did. I did for a lot of years. I believed that. I really genuinely believed if I can't be perfect, mm. I'm not worthy. Yes. If I can't constantly be working toward perfection, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of happiness. So of course, what's that going to do to my, to my subconscious over time? I mean, I watched that show, I think I was like 19, <laughs> yeah, about 19 when I, when I saw that. So yeah. what do you think that's going to do to an impressionable brain? You know, if, yeah. if I would have been in a, in a stronger mindset, if I would have had that sense of self-worth, I would have saw it as the TV show it was, and it wouldn't have affected me because I can watch TV shows now and I don't take to heart, you know, everything that the, the main characters say. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't in that place. And I, that really destroyed me. And I think, you know, it's easier for some people to go back and pinpoint, this is where I heard this and this is where it came from. We don't all realize that. <laughs> we don't all know where our inner tapes came from. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so much of it gets buried. Yeah. Yeah. Those loops get buried. And the more we feel we have those influences, the more they get pushed back. Yeah. The more we numb to it. Yeah. The more, you know, if we've got that strong rooted early childhood trauma, we're taught that that is the normal and we're fed that acceptance that, well, if I accumulated something that in my childhood was supposed to build me up, we get that understanding that this is what's normal to create that state of healthy being. Yeah. You know, we numb it throughout society in a lot of ways. Something as simple as that statement. I'm glad you brought that out. We're trying to find these ways that bring us happiness and meaning in life. But in their undoing, we create all of these buried submissive traumas that we normalize, that create these biases. And we simply accept the pattern to fill that acceptance, that attachment need. And I, I, I absolutely did that. And that obviously wasn't the only thing that I'd attached to. Mm -hmm. Something that I, I think people misunderstand yeah. is we yeah. think that trauma always comes from a bad place. You know, we always think that trauma comes from yeah. you know, well, sexual yeah. assault. Obviously that did create trauma, but there's so many places that other traumas came from that you would have never thought of. You know, like my mom mm -hmm. told me, I loved my mom. My mom and I were best friends, had a great relationship. She was a wonderful woman. But I remember her telling me as a teenager, you look dead without makeup. <laughs> and I trusted her and I believed her. Yeah. And I thought yeah. up until 
my late 20s that I was, again, there again, there's a judgment buried in that. Yep. I'm not worthy. I'm not beautiful enough. I have to do something else to be good enough. And she didn't mean that, obviously. Like, I know my mom. She she believed in me. Yeah. And that's not to tear down your mother and be judgmental of your mother. But some of that we look at how much is that her personal patterning and her personal baggage throughout life. You know, how much is that learned behavior from her that we start to replicate these things and we just generalize and numb it down, you know, reflecting back to one of those simple things. We don't grow unless we're challenged. Yeah. We're told that we don't have a purpose to motivate us forward unless something puts us at risk, which can become complete crap and bullshit. Yeah. A lot of time. Yeah. I will never stop saying yeah. that you don't have to hit rock bottom to move forward. Yeah. That's not to say when you are posed with these things that are beyond your control, that challenge you, you don't just lay down and literally like you have that fear of, I have to let go of my life here because I am not of worth. Yeah. No, to back that up a little bit and say, just even forming your value from that can become a very unbalanced unfocused, unintentional place where you're just repeating the pattern and say, but I am creating from all of this negative source of energy. You can create with having the negative bullshit there. It's your choice to place. And even when the challenges come, how you choose to view that is completely up to you. I think that's the important thing is choosing how to view it and how we handle it. You know, yeah, like I was yeah. saying within the, in the three C's of sustaining happiness uh, module, it all depends on how you handle it. And it depends on how you look at it. And it depends on, yes. I mean, there's, there's something to be said for wanting to grow, you know, for wanting to move forward, for wanting to be a better person. Yeah. And I aspire every day to be just a little bit better than yesterday, but mm. if I'm not, that's okay. And it's not that I might as well be dead if I'm not perfect. Like, thank you, Christian Troy. No, uh, I, I just, when I really stopped to think about it, that was actually the perfect thing for that character to say because that character was broken and broken people break people. He had been through all this trauma that was unresolved and this was him you know, like side, pushing yeah. that on other people mm -hmm. on saying, well, yeah, he was pushing his shadow side on other people. But I think there is, like you were saying, that foundation and the mind body soul connection isn't a secret anymore. It used to be hippie woo. -woo. When I went to, when I was to school, I, uh, majors of my body. Well, we push it down. Right. We, we get all of this notion of, Oh, the woo woo hippie dippy bullshit to me is bullshit to even look at, you know, and that's a judgment. I'm going to exercise a judgment on that because I'm just calling, Hey, let's look at this. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's real. And now it is. Scientists are constantly talking about that mind-body connection. They've proven that trauma that isn't dealt with can show up and cause cancer. Why do we bury something that has potential to liberate and free us? They've, they've proven that the trauma you don't deal with can cause cancer. Like, that's huge. That's something that we wouldn't have admitted to a decade ago. But I found that we can only reach our happiness potential. If we look at all of those areas, all those things that are linked together, that's why I found, you know, those five puzzle pieces of happiness being so crucial in the order that they're in, you know, every single one of them is really crucial. If you want to be at that happiness potential. And if you get halfway through and say, I'm where I want to be cool, but we can all be higher on our happiness spectrum and we all have power I think that what the biggest mistake I ever made, and if I could go back and tell my younger self one thing, it's stop giving everybody else the power. I gave my, my uh, assailant the power when I said, I'm a victim 
afraid. No, I'm a survivor. I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor. I gave the mental health professionals the power when I said, okay, my mental health is in your hands and I'm not going to do anything about it. I gave them the power. When I start taking my power back from all these people, when I start saying, I don't, I miss my parents. I miss Chester and like the, what he stood for. I miss these things, but I don't need any of them. Like I don't need them to be strong and happy and powerful. I'm always going to have a little bit grief, you know, that they're not here, but I can still be a happy, worthy, lovable person all my own. Looking at that perspective, how do you relate that to keeping that balance of power, looking at it as that sense of empowerment where it doesn't have to be an overtaking over somebody. It's just simply owning your being and your boundary. Well, you said it It doesn't have to be an overtaking. It doesn't have to be this all or nothing thing that people think it has to be. I I hear that so often that people say, well, either I have to be happy or I have to be sad. No, there's this whole scale. And that's one of the things that I I talk about a lot is the, what I call Mm. uh, your happiness spectrum. There's this whole spectrum, you know, of your emotions, of, of, how happy or not happy you are. And I don't think depression is the opposite of happy. I know that's a a common misconception. I don't believe that. I believe that there's kind of a scale of how happy you are. And maybe you're way down here. Maybe you're kind of here. What simply brings value and meaning to create an intention and purpose in what you do? What creates value and meaning? That's a big one for me to look at, you know, for myself and also others. So often you ask people, what brings you happiness? They're merely reflecting a pattern they've been taught. What do you truly value as a hard one? Because we're not taught to regularly sit down and even consider ourselves. That balance of I'm not being egotistically centered and only acting for myself, but I am aware of myself. Just being is looked down upon a lot. Finding that balance. Being aware is really, as we said, Mm. that falls into the assessment. That's the first step. If you're being honest with yourself, that's what it takes. It takes brutal honesty. That is really where you have to begin is saying, you're going to find those things you don't like, or those things that make you uncomfortable. And the thing is, (laughs) you can change those things. Like you said before, Mm. we can learn to either accept it or change it. We can come to love it, or we can say, you know what, this really doesn't serve me. How can I change it? Why are we uncomfortable with it? Where did we learn that notion that being quiet with yourself is uncomfortable? Are we creating that? It's in that space of quietness that we have the room to consider those things, that we create the space where we push out all of that crap you mentioned and say, but what truly brings me value and meaning? We aren't given those languages a lot of times. We aren't definitely taught it a lot of times in our home structure. And that's not judging parents. That's not judging our our history and our lineage. We definitely aren't given that empowerment, at least here in the United States, from my perspective, any kind of training in how to form your value outside of a capitalistic construct of value and meaning. You are defined and taught to be defined by where you are building to grow as a career being, as a source of income, as a source of being productive in some kind of capitalistic exchange. And that's really so sad because most people aren't happy with that lifestyle. Like most people are not happy working 80 hour work weeks. And I I often hear, this is something I, I hear so, so, so frequently from clients is, but I need to provide for my family. Why does that only mean financial? You also need to spend time with your children and and love them. They need something other than just here's money. And at the end of the day, yes, 
we do need money. We live in a society where we need money, but at the same time, could your family be just as happy and a little bit less? Cause I yes. found something, let me share yes. something kind of personal. I was in my family uh, Bible mm. not too long ago. And as I said, I'm not really a believer, but I, I did keep my family Bible and I, my parents were homeless when they had me, they were on a beach in Tampa, Florida. Mm. Uh, my parents sold their, they had driven truck and they sold their semi to be able to afford to have me. And I found a note in my family Bible is from my mom to my dad saying the best times I've ever had were being homeless with you on the beach because we had our family, yes. we had each other, we had everything we needed. And I just kind of freaked out. Cause I was like, wow, like this woman who, you know, went out, she was a nurse, she went on to be a nurse and she helped people. And she did a lot. You know, my dad helped a lot in the community and had his own little business for a while. It's like, no, the happiest they were was when they just, had each other and me. And they, you know, obviously fed me. Like I was fine. <laughs> they could provide, you know, maybe not in a way that most people would consider normal or meeting basic necessities, but I promise your kids don't need cable TV and an iPhone to be happy. They need you. Looking at that, that's an interesting angle for me to look at. You know, how do you feel you connect with that notion? That being your parent's source, that being a part of your lineage, do you feel you have any attachment to that? I actually 100% believe that because I know hmm. back um, quite a few years ago, probably seven years ago now, seven, eight years ago, I was working as a caregiver for a wonderful woman yeah. loved her to death. I still go visit her uh, to this day, like several times a year. That can be a tough space. I was miserable. Be- I hated everything about having to, <laughs> to go there. It just was not a, a good fit for me, a good situation, but it was paying the bills. you know. And I, at the time, was a single mom, didn't know what to do. But I just remember getting up one day and going, I can't do this anymore. I just absolutely cannot do this anymore. I put in my two weeks and quit my job and I started my own dog boarding business. So I would, uh, yeah. you know, have dogs in my home or go visit dogs or walk dogs or whatever. I had no idea what I was going to do. I'm like, I do not have a lot in savings. I don't have an opportunity for this to fail. This has to work. Yes. And it did. Like I became the highest rated dog sitter in my area, uh, because I didn't have a choice to, but to make it work, you know, because I was not going to be in a situation that made me unhappy because of money. Like I remember in uh, Charlie and the chocolate factory where, uh, they were talking in the beginning about how, you know, there's more money being printed every day. Are you really going to give up this opportunity for something as, as silly as money? Are you a dummy? And that's what I ask people. Are you a dummy? Like, do you really want to give up the opportunity of a genuinely happy life? Cause this is for all we know, the only one we get, do you really want to trade in that opportunity for money? That doesn't make sense to me. I will never, ever, 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 ever trade in my happiness for financial security. And I'm fine. Like, I don't worry about finances all night. I, I, I did lose, um, you know. And in freeing that struggle, it's going to be challenging. Sure, absolutely. In freeing that struggle, you aren't creating your own energetic block to that. That's a tough concept for people yeah. to grab. But do you know how powerful I felt being able to be a single mom doing what something I love doing? providing for my son by myself Mm. while still doing something that brought me some amount of joy. So again, while we were talking about when I was in that depression and uh, I I was having those symptoms of depression, when I was in the dark time, when I analyzed my life, it's like, well, here's one more thing that boosts me up. Here's one more thing that goes in that happiness bank was my job. It wasn't like, (laughs) oh my God, well, here's just one more thing to drain the freaking life energy out of me, you know? But it's, 
creating from that sense of yeah. this is something I am intentionally being imbalanced. Yeah. This is something I intentionally choose and that I put an energy of love in because I do value it and I do find a meaning and I do find an enjoyment. Yeah. I am grateful more than anything that I chose to create yeah. that. I, I am so grateful that I had the strength mm. to be able to do that, the strength to be able to mm. uh, find that, the courage to be able to walk away when something wasn't serving me. And this was before, like, let's just remind you, this was before all this other stuff happened, but I still had that bit of courage in me to say, this isn't <laughs> serving me. Like, I'm not going to spend my life doing something I can't stand just to make money. Yes. And that's so powerful. It really is. That does create that magnet that says, I am grateful for this. I am open to this. That joy attracts more joy. Yep. It very much does. And I think when I look back, there were so many little steps that I'd taken because I wanted to break out of that cycle of depression. Mm. And I just wasn't sure how to get there. And I just hadn't given myself the right foundation. So going back to, you have to have like all of these pieces in place if you really want to be at your happiness potential. (laughs) Because I I did little things that that were a step in the right direction. And I'm not saying you have to do them all at once. Let me reiterate there. One step in the right direction is forward movement. Yes. That's fine. But until those things are in place, you're not going to be at your happiness potential. Building blocks. What building blocks am I consciously putting into place with intention and purpose? I... I'm actually really excited because I know we didn't have a lot of time to really dive into the five puzzle pieces because there's just so much depth to it, uh, regardless of whether <laughs> you were just feeling a little off or whether you're a hot freaking mess like I was. I was a total hot mess. I'm not even going to lie. Um, and that also includes a free copy of uh, my workbook, How to Improve Your Productivity and Boost Your Happiness. Awesome. So if you want to sign up for that free challenge, uh, that's happinessboost.life. Reach out to Amanda. Look to explore how to establish those foundational pieces. Look to explore how you can evolve and find that space where you create that value, meaning, and happiness. Because I think everybody can afford to move forward, especially right now on that happiness spectrum, to move higher on that happiness spectrum. We all we all have improvements <laughs> that we can do. Not saying that we have to be perfect again. Mm. We've had that potential there to have things become stressful. There are things, you know, we're not taught. This is what I say all the time. We're not taught how to be happy. That's not a skill we learn in school. We're not taught how to take care of our mental health. We're not taught how to deal with stress. We're not taught literally any of the things that should be things that we're starting to learn in grade school. There is no happiness teacher. Like I, I, I have uh, friends and clients that started calling me like the happiness professor. I'm like, don't give me that much pressure. I don't want that kind of pressure, but it's true because we're really not taught the core things to really take control of our own happiness, to take our own power. We are taught to put it Mm -hmm. in the hands of everybody else. We're taught that it's either genetics or we have to, you know, go see someone to deal with our stress and anxiety and symptoms of depression. We have to rely on other people to tell us we're good enough or we're pretty enough or that's just simply not true at all. We have the power. I've got the power. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many different angles we could take that and look at what those core causes are. But I feel today we've kind of touched on how do we discover what are some of those things that we can struggle with and then how we can create a new perception and a new balance. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Thank you so much. And I'm excited. I think that 
I think that I want to see pictures of people and their Bruce Almighty, like I've got the power when he realizes he's got the power of God. I want to see some pictures yes. of people in there like Bruce Almighty taking back their power stance. <laughs> Send them over my Instagram, people. I want to see this. <laughs> awesome. Where can we find you on Instagram? Um, at Amanda Webster Health. Awesome. Let's throw that in there. We did not touch base on the book. I think before we get away today, we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't circle back to your book and how that connects with that theme of finding our light. Yeah. So I wrote a book that's a memoir of my life and the experiences that I've been through, mm-hmm. but also how Chester Bennington and Lincoln Park had been such a crucial part of my healing process. And in honor of uh, that, it's called One More Light because that was the name of mm-hmm their final um, studio album and the name of one of the, the final songs. The video is really beautiful because it's, it's tribute to Chester, but I thought that that was powerful because part of the song says um, who cares if one more light goes out. I care. Like if you are struggling with symptoms of depression or anxiety or stress or whatever, I care. I know that you might feel like nobody in the world cares about you, I care if your light goes out. I think that every person has a light in them that is blinding, Hmm. but you have to be willing to ignite that spark for the world to be able to see that light and that fire in you. So I'm really excited. I've been working with a literary agent. So we are um, expecting more light to come out in 2021. So I'm very excited for that. Thank you. Yep. So I would love to be a part of building that momentum and have you come back and speak more about the book. Absolutely. Let's plan on that. Okay, Let's absolutely. Let's plan on that now. Awesome. I will be happy to come back. Awesome. I look forward to sharing that with you. This has been such an enlightening conversation. I know that could sound kind of maybe thin and veiled. <laughs> It was such a truly impactful and, you know, eye-opening experience for me. And it's so inspiring to see how you've transformed and you're just literally glowing with that light now. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Thank you so much. And Mm. I feel it differently now. I I do feel that light. It feels, (laughs) everything just feels different. It almost feels like I glitched into another universe because maybe I just, I almost, what do we know? It's it's a, maybe I have, but it's a tear. It's a tear between I don't feel like myself and I feel like this is the first time I've ever been myself, you know, because I don't feel like what I used to feel like that I was so used to feeling like, but now I feel like I can be who I was really, Mm. I don't even want to say who I was meant to be. I can be who I was all along. I was just pushing down. That is everything. You have discovered where that true self is. I applaud you for that. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for sharing this with us and for sharing this insight with our listeners. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to come back later this year. Yeah, let's stay in touch and we'll work toward that. And when you get things ready, we'll we'll plan that out. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thank you. Musician Margot Price leaves us this hopeful reminder. Sometimes you find the strongest faith in the darkest corners. And businessman Aristotle Anassis adds this, It is during our darkest moments that we must focus to see the light. Even the longest day has its end. What feels like the end is often the beginning. In a sky of a million stars, a moment is all that we are. End your day with a smile, a happy thought, and a grateful heart. There is only one happiness in this life, to love and be loved. The clock ticks life away. Before the time runs out, embrace your time. 
because time is a valuable thing. Take time to embrace those people and things you truly love. Don't find yourself just waiting for the end. Our emotional set point allows us to connect with our inner light, aligning with the identity we each choose to create. Amanda and I have shared her story of struggling to find meaning in life. Now we want to know, what did you find meaningful in today's show? Leave us a message at www.thelightinside.us or tag us on social media at The Light Inside Podcast, sharing what inspired you the most in this episode. We are grateful to be able to continue helping you, our valued listening community, discover your light inside. Remember to continue to support the growth of our program by sharing feedback or leaving us a review on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you find your favorite show. Sharing with others why you enjoy our program here at The Light Inside. Join us next week as we discuss leveraging neuroscience to align and plan more effective goals. And as always, thank you for tuning in.